0: To support our work at the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you'll get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show.
1: Hi, I'm Mortada
0: and I'm Izzy
1: and this is the Izzy and Mortada picture show this week we are coming to you with a salty take (laughs) (laughs) to to lead with the obvious um, we're discussing two films. One of them, I think neither of us likes and the other also neither of us likes, but maybe one of us likes more than the other. And we'll let you discover that in the next 45 minutes or so. So the films that we'll discuss today are Emerald Fennell's Soulburn and Bradley Cooper's Maestro starring Carrie Mulligan in the lead role.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even though
1: she's not the maestro. (laughs)
0: Oh, God. Okay, well. I well, we'll I... start with
1: Soul Burn. So, <laughs> so Soul Burn is Emerald Fennel's follow-up to her Oscar-winning, what was that movie called? Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just realized both of these movies have Carrie Mulligan in them. Um, yeah, uh, One of my favorite actors, but sorry, Carrie, not this year. Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I w- I won't comment.
1: She's one of the best people I saw in on stage. Like, she's so amazing. Oh, stage.
0: that's good to hear. What did yeah. you see her in on stage?
1: I, I saw her in everything she brought to New York. I saw that one woman show she did where she murders her children. I can't remember. It's called Boys and Girls, yes. Oh. Um, it was a monologue, and I saw her in... The one was Bill Nye where they had an affair years ago. What was it called? Something moon, moon, something moonlight. No moon, something or starlight, star night, something like either moon or star. It was a very good celestial. Yeah. Yeah. And she was amazing in it. And she cooks a meal in that show. Like the whole thing is that he visits her years after they had an affair and so they're reminiscing or you know more like throwing insults as each at each other while she's cooking spaghetti and she is actually cooking spaghetti on that show every night wow. and you can smell it and I've never seen anybody be more comfortable on stage like I believe this was her apartment she I had hope a such... member of the
0: crew got to take that home every night like a different one
1: <laughs> right it, I'm they, not cooking it's...
0: Carrie Mulligan made me spaghetti <laughs>
1: It smelled so good. Um, that show was, she was amazing in it. Um, so anyway, um, last time she worked with uh, Emerald Finnell, she got an Oscar nomination. Um, she has a cameo in Saltburn, so it's not like um, a Karen Mulligan show exactly, although Maestro is. Um, so this is kind of a talented Mr. Ripley ripoff. Um, if we just want to kind of say that, right, it's about this guy played by Barry Kugan who befriends at Oxford, um, a rich classmate played by Jacob Elordi and then moves on to his home. Um, and his mom is Rosamund Pike. His dad is Richard E. Ground. Somebody's his sister and somebody else is his cousin. Um, and he basically just wants to... Like, I don't even, you know, the thing with this, the thing that the movie wants us to think is that he wants his life or he wants to fuck him. And we're supposed to not be sure. But just the way that it's written and performed, neither of these things make sense, nor do they actually make an impact. It's all mediocre. And it's as if somebody wants to just shock you. Like the sex scene is necrophilia. I'm like, why? No, none of these characters well, yeah. kind of yeah. told us they're into necrophilia. And then suddenly the one sex scene in the movie is necrophilia. So this is what we're dealing with, Izzy, well, just to shock you.
0: Well, I this is these are sort of the similar problems that I had with promising young woman, which is like. I I get the sense that Emerald Fennel, I'm not exactly sure how to say her last name, but anyways, um, like she always Feels like she's gonna go there, like she's gonna do something truly freaky, Mm -hmm. but then kind of like pulls back at the last minute or like stylistically mutes herself at almost every turn. So it's like nothing ever actually feels as jarring or strange as it probably should feel. Like in Promising Young Woman, for example. Mm -hmm. i feel like she would you know go up to these people who she was kind of trying to get revenge on and she'd be like well what if this happened well it didn't because i didn't do it but what if i did do it you know what i mean like (laughs) it was almost like yes it was never it never actually went there you know yeah And same thing with like a lot of the scenes that i feel on paper it on in Saltburn should have been really, like, fucked up and impactful, but kind of just feel like they fall flat. Like, the when he's having sex with the grave is a really good example. Like, I can think of a handful of filmmakers who would take that premise and do something truly grotesque with it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, imagine what La- Lars von Trier-, Trier would do with that concept. Like, disgusting, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally. And, um, but with her, it's just kind of, like, a static wide shot. So it just kind of like it's fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit really. It's just kind of like, okay, um great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the idea is there, but it's just never executed in a way that I feel is um quite as risque as it like promises to be. And so everything just feels so bland
1: bland is exactly the right word yes um and especially with this story like you know there's like 35 stories anyway so rip off the talented Mister Ripley if you want to but you know give us something interesting with it it's not you know sanding off the edges of the story of like you know the psychopaths who wants to take somebody's life but that's you know and then sand off the edges of everything and the, the the minute this movie lost me, actually, I think the first maybe hour 45 minutes is okay. It's fine. They're in Oxford. They're becoming friends. There is, you know, the sort of like class dichotomy between them. And then there is the scene where he goes back, takes him back to his parents, and then we discover all the lies. And that's when everything is completely sanded off. So it's not really a class satire because this person might not be rich. The rich, rich as people the...
0: are the good people. Yeah.
1: I'm like, what? What they're is just, happening here? They're, like,
0: they're just kind of a little rude, but that's really the extent of their crimes as far as I could tell in yeah. the scope of the movie. And it's also never clear why he's singled out from the beginning because, you know, Sorry, spoilers for, I guess, people who haven't seen this yet, but in the final two minutes of the film, it's basically showing the, like, mastermind moments that Barry Keoghan's character took to essentially, like, scam Jacob Elordi from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, like, another kind of annoying part of this is that his, you know, mastermind plotting is, like pretending he doesn't have a 20 in his wallet you know what i mean like it's never anything that's that clever, or like he's typing he's like doing a um (laughs) um, just typing random keys on his laptop to pretend like he's working in a cafe you know it's all kind of dumb stuff um and then but it's like why it never mentions why he wanted to come after this guy
1: Yeah, exactly. We're just supposed to think of Jacob Elordi as this most irresistible thing that you see him and you suddenly become a psychopath. Like,
0: Also the fact that he comes from a kind of, yeah, he comes from a middle-class background. So in a sense, like you kind of understand if it's like a working class thing, reclaiming it, it feels like a political statement to say, redistribute the wealth. Mm -hmm. But if it's a... but if it's a just kind of a well off kid anyway, then yeah. he is kind of truly just a psychopath. And that's yeah. kind of still kind of inexplicable and boring. <laughs> I
1: don't know. So boring. Like just the middle class was the nicest parents ever. And also, he's not that mastermind because he did kill every single member of this family except for one person who he left alive for like, 10 years, 15 years while he just waited in the background for 15 years until this man died of natural causes. This yeah. criminal mastermind who murdered everybody else waited 15 years for this one person to die and then finished off the last person in this family so he can get what the house? Like, I guess I it's a castle, but whatever. Like, And I
0: was also like, why not just kill the dad? Like, why did you wait? Why did you stop and like not? just finished the job. You know what I mean? Exactly.
1: 15 years. He stopped for 15 years and we're supposed to believe he's this, you know, criminal mastermind, psychopath, whatever. I, I, this movie is terrible. There are a little some redeeming um, points to it. I think Rosamund Pike is very funny. Um, right, let's at, talk about it. Let's talk about it. Um, but that, you know, at the beginning, she's very funny. The deadpan things. you totally believe her as this... Rich bitch, for lack of a better word, um, who's completely unconcerned with anything and just doesn't completely unaware of herself and what she spews out of her mouth. Um, she's very funny. The way she delivers lines is very good. Um, I don't think the writing is good, but she somehow makes those lines funny and interesting. And that's all thanks to her.
0: Um, because she ad-libbed them. <laughs> I didn't know the ad-lib story. Yes. Tell me that. Okay, so <laughs> First of all, I will say like one of my favorite performances of all time is Rosamund Pike in An Education. Oh my she God! Yes, absolutely so funny. She's the so funniest
1: good. thing ever.
0: And yes. like I do feel like Gone Girl was kind of a blessing and a curse for her because she is, I mean, literally incredible in Gone Girl, like so genre good. defining performance. And um, but I think it kind of like typecast her for a while as these icy women. Mm -hmm. When she is so comedically gifted, especially in lampooning the upper classes and, Mm -hmm. um, posh society. And so I was so happy to see her return to that in this film. Um, But yeah, so I was reading the GQ interview that she did and she was like, oh yeah, like Emerald, let us, you know, let me and Carrie Mulligan, like um, riff some of our lines and whatnot. And so her first line or one of her first lines is like, oh, I didn't know they had rehab in Liverpool, like, which I thought was so funny. Of course they ad-libbed that, you know, like... Like, all, all of the lines where I was like, oh, that was fun. Good for her. And then I realized, like, Emerald didn't even write them.
1: <laughs> oh, of course she didn't write them. She doesn't have the capacity to write something that funny. Um, okay, this is the last thing, bad thing I'll say about Emerald Fennel. This is not an Emerald Fennel hating Uh, podcast but it is a salt burn hating podcast um except for rosamund pike and but even rosamund pike at the end is the dumbest of all these characters like she is supposed to be kind of dumb a little bit but like come on she can't be that dumb like she's undermined by the end of the of the movie and sort of you leave the movie not even liking the rosamund pike performance because the character kind of does dumb things in the end
0: well i was i was really rooting for her in the cafe because I felt like, obviously, this woman had been through a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. and I felt like her demeanor, the way that Pike performs her in the cafe, it feels like she's been humbled in a way. Mm. Um, And so I was, I guess, rooting for her character and hoping that the worst wouldn't come to pass, but of course, obviously, the point of... The film is to like kill all of them so i was like oh okay
1: (laughs) all right yeah um, yes they all are murdered or die or richard e dies of natural causes 15 years after the rest of the action which is just this drives me nuts i have to keep repeating it it drives me nuts that he waited 15 years or however long for him to die um um richard e is fine i wasn't in love with either of the lead performances of jacob olori or barry keegan um, I think the Jacob Elordi thing is a pose and that's it. And he is a pose. He can pose, I guess. Um, but there is nothing for him to play. Um, that character has no no substance, no subtext, nothing. Um, there's nothing beyond the pose. And so he can pose well. So I guess he did the job because there was nothing. He wasn't given anything beyond that. And Barry Keoghan's supposed to be this complex character, but the writing for that character is terrible. You never get inside his head. Um, you never understand um what what his motivations are, and it's not in one of those performances where you know the cliche of like, oh, they kept the audience guessing. No, this is just an empty character and a rather empty performance. Um, that I wasn't in love with at all.
0: Yeah, I typically really like Barry Keoghan. Um. I like the kind of niche that he's crafted for himself, which does largely seem to be filled with a lot of these kind of fucked up characters. A lot of like, mm-hmm. his work with Yorgos Lanthimos, for example. Um, mm-hmm. I love Killing of a Sacred Deer. So I think, on again, on paper, this feels like a very good role for him. If the paper had different words on it, <laughs> <laughs> maybe... Um, so, yes, I mean, I like it kind of in theory again. Uh, but you're right I, I, about Jacob Lordi. I mean, he was great as kind of this ingenue, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But there isn't much interiority to that character. So,
1: what can you do? Yeah. So, we are definitely a pass on Saltburn. So, it's not awful. Like, this movie's in cinemas now, it's going to be on Amazon. Like, it's one of those movies you could just put on in the background. Like, it's such a streaming movie. Like, you can just half engage with it and, you know, fool yourself into thinking you've had a good time. Um, Because it does look good. There are, you know, from one of the things that, you know, there are the the production design is interesting, or at least it looks good. Um, But sort of like the mise en scène is not that interesting. So even Emerald Fennel kind of doesn't know where to put her camera to sort of film this big castle that um, supposedly rules the mind of her lead character that he would murder seven people just to get it. Um, It's never shown in any way what's so interesting about wanting this particular house, except for the fact that I guess it's just a rich people's house. That's what he wants. But then the ending is him dancing naked all over it, which you think he finally, so when that scene came and and it's kind of an interesting ending to the film, um, but then nothing before it sort of builds up to that. Why this house? Why is this the one thing you wanted to possess with all your might? Like, I don't get it.
0: I also think, speaking of the mise-en-scene, it's interesting to me that she chose to, time the film what is it 20 2006 2006 so. yeah yeah there there's very little about the film that kind of indicates that occasionally there will be a needle drop or they'll make a reference where it's obvious like I don't know you're reading Harry Potter but I guess people still do that so who knows but um, but otherwise I mean it feels very out of time and in a way I think that makes sense because those estates are Timeless in that way where they just don't feel relevant to any sense mm-hmm. of modern life. Yeah. But I think in some ways that can also feel I don't know. I was underwhelmed by it because it's almost like, why even make it that anyway? Like it didn't seem to add anything other than enabling that 15 year gap between deaths, which was yes! also pointless. <laughs> totally
1: pointless.
0: <laughs> I mean, I I guess like also maybe not having social media to look up the fact that he was lying <laughs> uh, yeah he could be a part of it but um i don't know yeah
1: it doesn't none of the choices make sense um so this movie kind of has like uh um a following at least on social media people seem to love it or some people oh, I don't not think all so. I some don't people i've seen I some like people it. love it uh, maybe we're following different people but i've seen some love for it and i think it's just because it's kind of like um, it has these interesting ideas that are really not interesting. Once you, if you think about them for two minutes. Um, so it has a a sort of shiny facade, but there is nothing underneath. Um, so yeah, Soulburn. I don't know that this movie is going to get any award nominations. I mean, it's probably only realistic chances is Rosamund Pike, but also like, there's like a million other actresses and supporting actress who are yeah. in much better films. So I don't see even that happening. And poor Carrie Mulligan. What the fuck? Why did she take this cameo? She's just introduced. She has that she's even a good the,
0: friend. She's a good friend.
1: I guess she is. Well, maybe we all need a friend like Carrie Mulligan who will come and just, you know, to help you out, even when you write her nothing.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think we all need friends like that. <laughs> yes.
1: So Carrie Mulligan is the linchpin of this podcast um, because the other movie we want to talk about is, of course, um, notoriously has her built first before its writer, producer, director. So, although she is not the maestro. She's the maestro's wife. She's Felicia Montalguerre. Hopefully I'm saying that name correctly, who was married to Leonard Bernstein played by Bradley Cooper, writer, producer, director of Maestro. Um, I just wanna say one thing before we dig into Maestro, cause I think this is going to be um, an unflattering conversation about Bradley Cooper. I just wanna say, I love A Star Is Born. It is one of my favorite films of the last decade. I think he looks great in it, and he did an amazing job as a director and an actor in that film. That was the year that Rami Malek won Best Actor. And I would give that Oscar right now, right then, to Bradley Cooper. Uh, But unfortunately, I think he's going to win Best Actor for Maestro. And I'll let you start, Izzy, with why why he's going to do that. And then we can can talk about the film.
0: (laughs) Well, famously, we disagree on 2018's A Star is Born.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was pretty badly written okay direction um and an indulgent take on a story that should have been more about the actress and the actor and uh well he made similar mistakes I feel with <laughs> <laughs> with maestro um
1: I love it I love it yeah uh, yeah
0: um so he is consistent he's an auteur this is like the greatest example of I guess like a, actors being allowed to do things that actresses aren't allowed to do, which, mm. I mean, if you think about the shit Barbara Streisand got for Yentl. Mm, yes. And the way that she like wrote that for herself and um, did all of these things for it herself. And it was like, how dare you? This is so indulgent.
1: Mm. Um, you
0: are so self not self well they would call her self-centered not that I think Bradley Cooper is self-centered for doing this but I mean it's kind I feel like it's that I feel mm. like it's, it's kind of the criticism that Barbara was getting but for Bradley Cooper for this film it's my god what a dedicated auteur filmmaker what a what a transformative actor he is mm-hmm. and I do you can see the work that he's putting into it I mean it's very exaggerated work it's like all of those prosthetics which are Debated for various reasons, but I think are broadly unnecessary, except for like aging. At some the time. aging,
1: the aging was very good,
0: yeah. Um, and then you know, like his patterns of speech, his efforts to six years to learn how to direct this or how to conduct that symphony you know do, do, do. The-
1: we're not reviewing the i'm gonna stop here we're not reviewing the marketing or the ca- awards campaign let's talk about just no, no, the no, performance no. first. But
0: i think it's related it's like <laughs> like we can see the effort that he put into it mm-hmm. and it's like extraordinarily excessive to me and I felt like I was watching an opera the whole time where it's just like everything is dialed to kind of 11. Well I do
1: agree with you like he gave himself that big huge scene in the cathedral where it's just how long it is like seven minutes of him conducting I don't even know which piece of music that was. But anyway, yeah. just basically to tell us I learned conducting and here's me in my glory. And then, of course, the camera moves to Carrie Mulligan and she's so moved that she's going to take Leonard back yeah, despite everything. And it's just like, oh, so not only is this indulgent in that you're trying to show us your effort, which is the point you were making, but you're also making us you know, guiding our feelings towards you by making your co-star feel this these things that you're then telling us to feel for you as an actor. Yes,
0: yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, and then just from a, I guess, from a personal taste perspective and also like being someone who it, likes Leonard Bernstein and stuff, um, I just think it's so astonishing that that is the film <laughs> that ended up being what was made about his life yeah um originally this had started out as a script penned largely as like a normal run-of-the-mill biopic like you know hitting all of the career points and etc etc and it went through scorsese and spielberg and eventually spielberg was convinced to pass it to bradley cooper um
1: who rewrote it right
0: who completely rewrote it from square one um and essentially dedicated years of his life to learning about bernstein because he's A self-professed obsessive of conductors Um, and I just think it's really fascinating that like of everything in Bernstein's life the thing that he found the most interesting to talk about and put on screen was this marriage that in many ways is like kind of conventional for a lot Mm -hmm. of like queer lavender adjacent marriages you know like yeah of the mid-century like it is a very troubling um concept and a challenge that's worth highlighting but it's also kind of I felt like I was watching the b plot of a different of a larger movie or something or like of a better
1: movie yes
0: yeah where it's like this is something that would be happening on the side while you're doing something else or we're watching you compose something or whatever you know
1: yeah, and I agree with you about this point, and this is my main gripe with this movie, is yeah. the marriage that's the center of this movie is not that interesting. Felicia Montalguerre is not that interesting, or at least the the version of her that's presented in this movie is not that interesting. All she did was marry a gay man, knowing that he's gay, and then kind of build this facade for him when she loved him and that's it it's like you said conventional it's middle of the road it's not that interesting i don't know why that is the point that bradley cooper wanted to make about leonard bernstein's life i mean you know um we could say we know what the point is but we're not going to get into gossip but the film <laughs> as it's presented it's just not that interesting this marriage is not that interesting. Um, and they add all these things into the marriage and like, I get to to get the family to sign off, you have to present people in um, a good light. But we have all these scenes that are extensive, I think, of what good parents they were. Um, and how they explain the being gay thing to the elder daughter when and it takes so much of this film these scenes when we don't get nothing like next to nothing about his career there's hardly a mention of West Side Story Mm -hmm. um there there is no mention of a lot of things in his career but that the West Side Story thing is just glaring to me because that's how um you know that's his most famous piece and i can't tell you that um i learned anything about leonard bernstein that i didn't know before i watched this movie um this movie could have been about any lavender marriage um yeah. because that point of view is just you know there's nothing about him being jewish Um, or how except for one scene where they talk somebody asks him to change his name so that you know so that he become become famous and he doesn't change his name and we don't know what happened um and and that's it so it's a very sort of like it's a strange take on this um i will give this movie credit for the first half hour i would say it starts very well the first scene is an amazing scene it's his it's Leonard Bernstein's first time conducting an orchestra at what's the uh, Carnegie Hall right and so he gets the call he's the replacement he's in bed with Matt Bomer he uses Matt Bomer's ass as drums and then he walks around and it's a big huge scene and he's in Carnegie Hall it's beautifully directed when we talked about the mise-en-scene that Emerald Fennell doesn't know how to do I think Bradley Cooper knows and that scene is beautiful the the drums the asses drums I was like oh my god this movie is going to be really queer okay all of that promise that's in that first scene is never realized there is never, never as good a scene as this there is never as gay a scene as this and from then it's down down hold. but it does give us some beautiful moments i think the love story between them when they meet and fall in love is beautifully told especially the scene where they go um they do on the town um as they're falling in love and sort of like so because that to me it mixed A well-known piece that he worked on with his life, with an event in his life, like it was the only time he got married. So mixing those together, that was interesting. And I think both actors are really good. And again, as a director, he has done interesting things in those scenes. But that's it. After that, it's just fights and the fights are not that violent not 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 verbally violent not like that i want them to kill each other or anything like you know there there there's violence in words and i didn't feel that this script really did that because when you are in a marriage you know somebody really well and you can really really hurt them the biggest thing she says to him is that you're an old queen was that is that what she said uh, yeah i i i, th- I think it's like
0: I think my favorite scene in the film was the scene where his daughter has learned rumors that he's gay or sleeping around mm-hmm. and she, he essentially has to deny that to her and t- lies to her and tells her that people make up rumors about him because he's famous and they're jealous. Mm. Um, That was, I think a really wonderful quiet moment that he did a really good job acting in because he is being forced to do two things at at once it's not Mm -hmm. like it's not just a straightforward um screaming match or you know conducting it's like he has to hold this internal truth and then also convey this lie to her on his face at the same time and I think he did that really really well but that's one of those things where it's like that is a moment that's interesting to explore about this kind of marriage. And it's really, I think the only scene that like added a new perspective to that mm-hmm. kind of thing for me. Cause I never personally like thought about the kids, you know, and yeah. what they might think or what they might hear. So that, that was nice to me. Um,
1: Maya and, Hawk plays the daughter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right. Like I kept looking for all of these moments where there would be more of a focus on either the music that he wrote or the music that he loved and understanding what that meant to him in his life or relating it to his life in some way. Um, I was watching, I mean, watching the film kind of inspired me to go back and watch a lot of those episodes of the television show where he's teaching kids mm. about, about classical music. And in one of the episodes there was. He's talking about this um, piece that Tchaikovsky wrote, and he's like, "Um, like listen to the yearning in this. Listen to how you know this part builds, and it feels like I want it, I want it, and I can't have it. And it's like imagine, like Leonard Bernstein specifically thinking about that piece." You know what I mean? It's like Bernstein being understanding what Tchaikovsky, a closeted gay man, would have felt when he was writing these, these pieces about like yearning and like feeling trapped by the things that you desire. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I don't like, it's moments like that where you can see the real person is really thinking about what he's working on and what he's making and how that reflects in his own life. And so, this film has literally none of that. And that's just so disappointing because that's what he's <laughs> known for. That's why we love him. Yes. So um flop.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like it either. Um, I do think, you know, I do love Carrie Mulligan. And I think she kind of like, I understand why she gets stopped billing because as we said, this it's about the marriage and she is, she is to me the better actor in this movie because even yeah. though I don't think her character is more interesting, I was always looking at her because I think she were doing she was doing interesting things. I think the fury was there. Um, that sort of simmering fury all the time was there. I love the scene later in the film. Um, from an acting perspective, when she is sitting with um Sarah Silverman, who plays her sister-in-law and Maya Hawk as her daughter, and she's trying not to like talk about. Bernstein and why she wants to go back to him or I think or maybe she decides to go back to him but anyway so many conflicting things are happening in in that scene and she was very transparent with her emotions and and this and also that scene sort of like just allowed her like um Bradley Cooper gave himself a lot of of scenes but I think he also gave Karen Mulligan a lot of scenes like he's generous that way and he gave her a lot of scenes and opportunity um, and good sort of focus on on her body and her face to sort of convey the emotions of this woman. So as a director, he didn't, you know, hog all the spotlight. And she emerges um, really well. Like, even though I don't like the film, I think her performance is great. And um, and she's better than him. Um, and yeah. sort of, he must have seen that and sort of he still allowed allowed that to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I I actually agree with you. I mean, that was one of my problems with *The Star Is Born* is that like suddenly this th- these films that have been so iconic for the female performances were suddenly mm-hmm. readjusted for him to showcase himself, which is kind of annoying. But um, yeah, so I was surprised that this got a readjustment that actually elevated of the female performance. Um, in maybe a place it shouldn't have been, but um. He yeah I think she did a really great job I think also her character kind of reinforces some of the indulgence in a different way in the sense of like there's such a meticulous recreation of Bernstein Bernstein's like face and like everything about him mm-hmm. whereas with her it's just kind of like she gets a different wig every once in a while and that's i don't even think they give her aging makeup at any point maybe a
1: little oh, she's, bit. she's she's aged a little she, bit she You're died like, of oh. cancer izzy well, come on there's that's not, that's not
0: aging that's illness <laughs> but you know what i mean i'm just kind of like it's kind yeah. of like oh we're thinking about this second you know yes. very obviously um which i thought was funny but anyways Yes, I thought that she was better than him and quite good. Mm -hmm. And congratulations to Carrie Mulligan.
1: Um, It's funny because I read an interview with her that she says this is the first time in a movie that she got a role as good as the ones she played on stage, which Mm -hmm. I believe to, to a certain extent, but I just also don't think this role is that good. I think her best role remains in education and it remains also um, Rosamund Pike's best role. So I'm just, so I think we're outing ourselves as fans of an education. And if you want to see Carrie Mulligan and Rosamund Pike, that's the movie you should see.
0: Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're just inspiring me to watch that again instead
1: yeah um so i think this movie is going to get all the oscars it's going to get film director actor actress cinematography it's going to win makeup um uh, costumes everything so it's going to be like 10 12 nominations i I think think it's four
0: things can win um costumes
1: no i'm not gonna i'm not saying it's gonna win i think it's going to get nominated yeah. I think um, poor things will win costumes too. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the more, those are the flashier costumes for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of that, you know, prestige Middle patina on it. Yeah. 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 Like totally. it's just like that kind of film. Although time magazine put it as the best movie of the year. I don't know what they're doing over there, but all righty. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. So you know what, here's the thing. Um, I realize that my opinion about this film is probably going to be divisive or and or controversial because a lot of people liked it and I was really surprised honestly. Yeah, like I I'm it surprised was be like to like an obvious like this is not great but I guess not. Yeah. I think it does look nice.
1: It does look um, nice and the acting is okay or good. Yeah. Good to great. Um, And I think I saw it with two friends who shall remain nameless. But if you're listening, you know who you are, because we saw this movie together at the New York Film Festival. Um, And I remember walking with like mixed feelings about it, walking out with mixed feelings, and they kind of both really liked it. And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna say anything.
0: And a lot of people, a lot of people who I really, really respect like it too. So, it's yes. po- you know, I'm leaving, I'm leaving space for myself being incorrect, <laughs> but I also, um, or just, you know, feel free to disagree with me is what I'm saying. Yes. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I I was surprised by how many people really liked it, I guess.
1: Yeah. A lot of people do like it. And I think, but I, I'm i waiting for this movie because like, as we've seen this last week, when May, December hit Netflix, that's where the you know, many, many, many more people see it. And that's when you get like a real opinion. And I'm so happy to see that May, December, despite the online controversies about it, it for the most part, people really like it and are yeah. enthralled with the performances and with the film itself. So that's very good. Um, but Maestro, I think, will know more about what general audiences feel when it hits Netflix right before Christmas. And you know how there is always a movie that everybody goes home to their parents and watches? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly the internet is just going to be all about that movie for like a week. I think yeah. it's going to be Maestro this year.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of them, I think, this year.
1: Yeah, so um, so yeah, so we'll see um, what what actual, but I think the industry for sure loves it. Mm -hmm. um netflix if you're listening you know i'm happy to to come to any maestro um parties you haven't invited me to any yet so (laughs) i
0: think you have to tweet more positively for them to invite you
1: (laughs) i've tweeted a lot positively about coleman in rustin about um may december which i love like you can't have every single thing netflix (laughs) i love those movies (laughs) yeah
0: Oh, I have to show you separately. I have to show you. I made a a good May-December lock screen for my phone that I need to show you.
1: All right. That's <laughs> uh, that's for after. Yeah. But anyway, Izzy, I think we're both mixed to negative on these movies. I'm more negative on Saltburn. Would you say you're more negative on Maestro?
0: I compared to you, yes. I wouldn't no. say I'm I'm more negative on it than Saltburn. I just I think I have a higher standard for it than Saltburn because i want to know more about the topic you know what i mean yes yes um so yeah that's how i feel
1: so anyway let us know at us on twitter or instagram or you know give us a five star rating and in the rating tell us whether you liked maestro or didn't like maestro um and um you can follow the podcast at i am picture show on twitter and instagram and you can follow me on twitter at me underscore says on an Instagram at Mortada underscore E we're also doing some cued videos um to supplement this podcast and I think those go on TikTok right
0: yeah I've Lizzie. been putting them on TikTok yep
1: so tell the good people where to find you and the TikTok
0: uh my tiktok is bk rewind as is my twitter and then bk underscore rewind on instagram but yeah follow the um instagram and tiktok and my tiktok for um the shorts
1: yes and until next time thank you for listening